Please turn with me to Acts 17, as we will be looking at verses 16 through 20 today. We'll be looking at uh, Paul's time in Athens, beginning that section this week and finishing it next section or next week, which is too much for one week to really do it justice in my mind. So before we go to the text, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with it this morning. Father, as we come to your word, we pray again that you would open our hearts and minds to hear it. Many times we close those things on purpose because we don't want to hear the truth. The truth oftentimes hurts. So, Father, we pray that even against our will, if need be, that you open our hearts to see our sin, our minds to hear and understand your word, that we can be shown the truth this morning, not only as it is a sanctification for us as your people, but also as our training up that we might be able then to also show others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was a kid, one of the greatest privileges that I was ever given was the day that mom and dad finally let me go and make my own drink at Pizza Hut. You know, because uh, back in those days, it was a really big deal because all the drinks were like behind the scenes and you couldn't go and just make your own beverage in any restaurant. Pizza Hut, you always could, you know, and they had those tall, clear red plastic cups. You know what I'm, what I'm talking about. So I went up there with my cup and I was just showing this wide plethora of options that I'd never seen before. I could fill the ice to whatever level I wanted to fill it, or just no ice at all, thanks. If that was what I wanted to do, I could get seven up on one trip, and on the very next trip, I could get Mountain Dew, and no one cared. It was kind of nice. It even dawned on me that I could just go up there and get a little bit of every single drink that I wanted to all at once and kind of create this sugary symphony as it were. It usually ended up being some odd green color and tasted strange, but this was my choice. I could do that if I pleased. It was my creation. So in our text today, Paul finds himself in Athens, a city-state there in Greece that had been the center of many events in the history of civilization, in the history of the world, really. And it had the marks to prove it as a city very old place. There were people there of every kind. There was art and music of every kind. There were gods and goddesses of every kind. It was kind of like the Pizza Hut drink bar of the ancient world. And with that, folks usually wouldn't just dabble in a thing or two, but they would try out everything. They would dabble in lots of different things. And they kind of had this mixture they would try one and like it for another while, then they would try another, and then they would claim, this one's my favorite. And then they would go on to another one. They would just keep, keep on going. Does that sound familiar? In many ways, our own modern culture is just like that. Lots of flavors, lots of different tasters, trying everything and nothing all at the same time. And in the midst of that, we have the truth of the gospel, an anchor in a time of chaos and confusion, a 
be spending two weeks looking here at Paul's time in Athens. We could spend a whole lot more, uh, but two weeks is going to have to be our limit. This week we're going to kind of set the stage with what he's dealing with, looking at the many different beliefs that he is having to wade through there in, in Athens and the, very, the many systems of belief, how they mirror the ones that we have today. And next week we're going to see how Paul addresses them then how we should do that as well. So for this week, I want to look at how in that chaos and confusion, the truth can, even for us sometimes today, can become a strange word, the truth, if we aren't careful, which is why we must cling to it all the more closely. So I want to consider our text in three points. The motivation of Paul, the belief, the beliefs of the people, and the question of yesterday and today. And so with that, please stand with me as we read from God's Word. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 20. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So remember... Last week we were in, we began our time in the book of Acts in the city of Thessalonica and Paul was there with his friends and they were run out of the city of Thessalonica by the Jews that were jealous of them and their teaching and then they went to Berea which was a smaller kind of town but the, the Jews in Thessalonica found them there and they were run out of there and this time Paul was actually taken to the city of Athens alone. His friends were were left there in Berea, and they'll join back with him in a couple of chapters. But Paul, Paul was left alone. He didn't know anybody. Sometimes when I think about this story, it makes me think of one of the times that I got lost as a kid in the mall in Cape Girardeau. You guys have ever been there? That's about, about like Paducah, I guess. It happened more than once, me getting lost in the mall, if you can imagine. It was a giant place to me then, this big old building with lots of different shops and people and odd things. You had everything from like the Christian bookstore to Spencer's Gifts, which wasn't the Christian bookstore. Uh, just a wild assortment of things, not knowing where to go or who to talk to and just kind of wandering around trying to find my mom because I had this just ability to get lost just about anywhere I went. It's really a great setting. I think to think about it that way for our lives many times as believers, lots of people going in lots of different directions, lots of places for lots of stuff that doesn't even matter. 
The gospel is the only thing, really, that can cut through all of it and remain the clear and present truth in our lives. It gives us direction. It gives us purpose. So that brings me to then the motivation of Paul. Look with me at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So Paul, walking through the city of Athens, I mean, never probably been here before, goes through Athens. If you look at pictures of Athens in the ancient world, just pretty incredible. All the just beautiful art and and, uh, big buildings and the way the city was laid out. It's just fascinating. Athens was about a hundred years removed at this point in their history from being sacked by Rome. And Rome completely leveled it, or nearly completely leveled it. They left things like the schools, because they were very impressed with the schools there in Athens. They left the places of worship, because Rome really, what they did is they just came in and they kind of integrated the Greek pantheon into their own, and made some, they just changed the names of the gods, and they had their own gods intertwined with that, so there was this nice mix of gods. And so much, and since much of the world now was very loosely connected because of the expanse of the Roman Empire and all the infrastructure that they built associated with that, people from all over were now coming to these centers of culture like, like Athens. And in Athens, they were given the freedom to worship however and whomever they wanted to, which was a different thing in Athens before. In ancient Greece, they were not allowed to do that, but now, Because of Roman occupation, all these other gods and people and places, they were all allowed there. So this created this this real hodgepodge of gods and rituals, really not unlike any major city that we have today. Just a whole lot less concrete, more, more marble and that sort of thing, but very similar. And as Paul is walking through the city... You know, like walking through a mall, all these different shops. Here are all these different gods and all these different idols. So what did he do? Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Of course, Paul cannot, cannot help himself. He has to begin talking about these things. He goes to the synagogue, which is his normal thing to reason with the Jews there. He went to reason with the devout persons or the God-fearers who we've talked about before. But he also went to the marketplace, which would have just been an area of lots of different people, places, things, and began conversing with them as well, began reasoning with them as well. So, notice what Paul does. Being provoked by their idols He goes and he tells them about Jesus. In Paul's day, the idols were really easy. They were literal statues on the street, on the side of the street. Granted, these statues, of course, represented these underlying belief systems, but still, the statue being there presented a real picture, a concrete picture of what you can, of people and and a belief system. Are we provoked by the idols that we see today? We don't have idols on the street for the most part. I guess you could sometimes find them. But what are the idols today? They really aren't much different than the ones then. We just don't have, they just don't have first names anymore. 
But the gods that they worshipped then really just are representations of many of the same idols that are worshipped today. One of the articles that I've read and really think it's essential for anyone who's dealing with uh, issues of the heart and counseling is a is an article called Idols of the Heart by Ted Tripp or Paul Tripp and he talks about the different idols in today and he sums them up by saying there are four the idol of my desires the idol of my fears the idol of my needs and the idols of my expectations so desires fears needs and expectations And all idols that we worship can really be summed up in these four things. Think about these. Desires. What about that idol? The idea that I want something that I can't have. Money. A different body. A different spouse or kids. A different job. A different life. We begin to really get entwined in this and this can become create problems. What about fear? The idol of fear. The idea that my health and well-being or the health and well-being of my loved ones are paramount to all things. And anything that might injure those things or hurt those things is absolutely bad and wrong. And I must commit myself to thinking about those bad things and those wrong things constantly. So we have worry and doubt. The, The idol of my needs the idea that my needs become before, before the needs of others, no matter what. Because my needs are the absolute most important because they are mine. And then we have these ideas of felt needs. You know, we, we say, I need this a lot. What, 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 what do you mean by that? What about the idol of expectations? This is a big one. The idea that things must be a certain way. They must be the way that I expect them to be. If they aren't that way, I'll let you know in no uncertain terms because my expectations are always right and they're always reasonable. Ever had any contact with any of these idols before? These idols should provoke us first and foremost because they are idols of our own hearts. However, they should also cause us to grieve as we look at the society around us and those around us because these idols represent real things. They represent an attack on the truth because they're not the truth. They're not the gospel. They're not the Savior, even though they claim to be. The true gospel dispels each one of those idols perfectly. In Christ... My desires become what? His glory. His kingdom come. And all other things are in sub- subject to that. In Christ, my fears are gone because He is here with me. He told the storm to stop and it did. We have nothing to fear. In Christ, my needs are met so that now I can focus on what? The needs of others. My needs become second. My expectations are fulfilled in the promise of eternal life. What else do I need? What else should I expect? Everything else is in submission to that. And so in Christ, all of these idols are completely wrecked. They're completely destroyed. As we encounter the idols of our culture, just like Paul encountered the idols of that culture then, we must be ready with the gospel. 
There's no other, there's no other remedy. The people we talk with will slowly but surely realize that the idols that they serve are not good. They're not what they claim to be at all. They actually only ever take away from their servants. They never build them up. They never do good. They only ever do bad. They destroy. The gospel is the answer the people need when the idols of this world harm them. Because the idols of this world do harm them. They need Jesus Christ who will never do them harm. They don't need psychobabble. They don't need positive thinking pillows or whatever else garbage there is. They need Jesus Christ. And that brings us then to the belief of the people. Look with me at verse 18. Some of the Epicureans, these are the people that he met there in the marketplace, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now we have to understand a little bit about what's going on in the marketplace. The marketplace was this uptown place. It was a place where you went not only to get like, you know, bread and milk and that kind of stuff, but it's also where you went to hear what was going on, to hear what the thought of the day was. And so you kind of have these snooty people walking around listening and wondering what people are and who they are and trying to gather up all these ideas. And so you kind of get a picture of that here with verse 18 of what's going on, who Paul is coming in contact with. Notice the different people that are there. I think you'll see that they're just like the ones that we have today. First, we see this word Epicureans. Maybe you've heard of that. It's a philosophy founded by a Greek man named Epicurus. Pretty easy. The basic idea behind Epicureanism is that pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of feeling good, is the absolute key to happiness. One should not be tied down by anything that would cause you difficulty in any way. If there's anything or any institution that would somehow cause you displeasure, you should avoid it at all costs. Things like religion, marriage, family, government. Push them all away, any institution, because pleasure above all things. Pleasure was, of course, then self-defined. And one should live how they see fit in order to gain that pleasure. So you can imagine all the directions that would go. Its followers also sought to avoid pain at all costs. So it wasn't like full-on hedonism, because full-on hedonism has this balance between pleasure and pain constantly. But it was a refined, fancy version of hedonism. Obviously not too hard to make a connection here with with what we see today. Epicureanism is alive and well today, though many of the mental pleasures the Greeks sought, and they would have said not so much physical, but the mental pleasures, you know, uh, you know, reveling in that are completely avoided anymore. It's all about the physical pleasures of the day. And next we read here about Stoicism. There were some Stoics there that he conversed with, founded by a man named Zeno. And he lectured from a porch called a Stoa. And so hence that's where that name comes from. Stoicism. Basic idea here for Stoicism is that virtue, 
is the highest goal. And what is that virtue? Well, the virtue has a particular meaning. It's learning to accept whatever comes your way and having a particular way about you, your courage, and, and not just courage, but learning to control your emotions in the midst of how life comes at you, even when life is bad, because you can't control it. You can't control your life. You can't control the things that come at you. Fate is fate. Destiny is destiny. We simply persevere and endure those things. And so the Stoic is kind of where we get the idea of keeping a straight face in the midst of trouble. We even use this word Stoic a lot in our own English language. This one is around as well, even though it may not seem that way. Sadly, it's around with one of the most used phrases by many of by many today, when something goes wrong and something bad happens, what do people say? It is what it is. What does that mean? It's very impersonal, is it not? Very impersonal that it is what it is. What, what role does God have in that? As if there isn't a personal God that's in control of the world, only some impersonal force, like kind of like Star Wars or something. We don't have any control, any say, and so therefore we must just endure very similar to a lot today. Next, you have these people that call out and they, to Paul and they say, what does this babbler wish to say? Babbler was an insult, if you can only imagine. It's not what it sounds like. The literal Greek there is a seed picker, is what they called Paul. And this was a term used to for the birds that would wander around and pick up the seeds that were on the ground where there were people who would actually do this. There was food carts, if you can imagine, here in this market, and food would fall off the carts, and of course nobody wanted it because these are all refined people, and so these babblers or these seed pickers would run around and pick up all the food, and that's kind of how they sustain themselves. Well, in the marketplace, this idea picked, took on a different meaning. With ideas, people who would hear a thing there and hear a thing here, and they would take it in and kind of make it their own. Instead of being a name dropper, they were idea droppers. They would hear something that sounded really profound to them, and without any personal study or research of their own, they would just kind of say it. Hey, I heard this, and just kind of make it their own. It's very common. People will say things they think is profound, but you ask them a question about it, and they say, well, I don't know, it's just something that I heard. Of course, you wish that was what they would do. Nowadays, if you people who grab ideas off the ground, as these seed pickers would do, they just, if you ask them a question, they just yell at you until you stop asking them questions, which is kind of what every protest is today. Last, they say Paul was preaching foreign gods. He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Several hundred years earlier, around 400 years earlier, in fact, this is the same charge that they gave one of their great teachers, Socrates. They charged him with teaching foreign divinities, which was very much against the Athenian way then. The culture is now much more accepting of that, or Paul's culture was, of course ours is as well. Anything that allowed folks to feel closer to the divine they were willing to hear and understand this type of mysticism definitely would have been allowed and welcomed. And so 
Maybe upon saying this, they others gathered near. Well, maybe he's teaching something that we need to kind of add to our own distinctives, right? We see this as a bit in our own culture today, quite a bit actually. People are dabbling in lots of religions. There's many even ancient religions that are making resurgence today. People are more and more seeking some sort of connection with the divine that has nothing to do with the major religions of the world, particularly Christianity. I see this a lot with people that I grew up with who grew up grew up in the church, quote-unquote, and now are kind of dabbling in this weird stuff because they want no connection to the true God of the Bible. So how do we handle, as Christians, this cacophony of gods in our own culture? Which is this loud noise all together rather than being the the sugar symphony of the soft drinks mixed together. We have this the equivalent of grandma buying every single grandkid a brand new drum kit for Christmas and them all playing them in the living room together. It's loud and obnoxious. You can't hear anything. It's just a bunch of noise. How does a Christian navigate this today? Do we have to know the ins and outs of every single philosophy that we might come across in order to share the gospel? Or can we just keep it simple and just know the gospel in and out? The short answer to that question is yes to both. We should always be studying our culture. It's wrong and absolutely wrong to completely dismiss the culture and refuse to learn about it. Do you think Paul knew what Epicureanism was? Do you think he knew what Stoicism was? Absolutely. He had conversations with him. He was able to know these things. But in the end, what did Paul specialize in? What did he keep close? He preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected to those people. And that is what he needed. And that is the only thing we need. Notice at the verse of, or end of verse 18. He seems to be preaching a a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Why were they saying these things about him? Because he was preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. He was preaching the resurrection there in the marketplace. When we keep the message focused on Christ, we'll have more than ample opportunities to explain that message more fully. And that's what we see. That brings us to our next point. The question of yesterday and today. Look with me at verses 19 and 20. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. They took him to the Areopagus. You've probably heard this word. Maybe your translation says Mars Hill. Well, Areopagus literally means the hill of Ares. And, of course, the Greek god Ares is the Roman god Mars. And so Mars Hill is appropriate as well. And they ask him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. These things are strange. We want to know what they mean. They take him to this place, and if you, you can look up a picture of 
Mars Hill. It's just basically this rocky place that kind of overlooks the Acropolis, which was the center of the Greek pantheon and everything that was going on there. In this world of chaos and confusion, the gospel of truth is so clear and so loud, it rises above all the crazy. And it causes them to pause and ask a question. Why would they ask a question about something that sounded the same as everything else there? Of course they wouldn't. The gospel is so different from any of their self-indulgent philosophies. It caused them to wonder. The gospel is about the God-man, Jesus Christ, who died. Who did something selfless. Who sacrificed himself for his people. Think about any basic study that you've done on Greek mythology. Are there any of their gods that are remotely close to that? No. The gods of their pantheon were selfish and self-indulgent, just like the people who served them. The God of the Bible was loving and fair, unlike the people who serve him. In fact, the God of the Bible pursued his followers even though they wouldn't follow him. He set aside a people for himself from the foundations of the world and made a plan to save them. And he came himself and did just that. He saved them. He gave the people that he came to save the gift of eternal life, a life without sin, without guilt and shame, a life without having to serve the gods of their desires fears, needs, and expectations. And why did he do it? Not because we were serving him well, because he loved us even though we hated him. Brothers and sisters, do you know how easy it is to lose the simple message in this crazy world today? really easy to lose the very simple truth of the gospel with all the craziness in the world and on just turn on the television watch the smiling preacher just go to the christian bookstore look at all the books that have their author's faces on them read the title who's it about it's about you it's not about the god that we worship it's about the god that they want you to worship yourself the gospel has become strange to them. And they sound just like the world that they're preaching to. If we aren't careful, we'll get lost in that noise as well. The reason that Paul was heard is because his message was strange. And they just had to know what this strange teaching was. And Paul uses that opportunity to preach a very clear message of the gospel. Here at this, here at this church, here at Redeemer... We are committed to teaching and preaching the strange message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came to save sinners, and we are those sinners. And He intends to save more. Therefore, we keep preaching that message from the pages of His Word, and we will continue to do so. When we are faithful to this, people will want to know. They will want to know what is this strange message 
when we are faithful, when we're talking to folks, they will listen because our message is not what they think it's going to be. They will say, that is strange to my ears. Tell me more. In conclusion, let us be people who are faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, His message, His truth. Let us be people who are provoked by the idols of our own hearts first because they are there. If you don't think they are, just read. They are. We need to be provoked by the idols that are around us and the hearts of others. Not in an anger way, angry against those people, but in, in a grieving way. We care about them enough to tell them about Jesus. So much so that we talk to them about it. We love them enough to tell them of our own struggles with those things. And then we listen to theirs. Let us be people who study our culture so that we know how to talk to them. All the while remaining true to the message of the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you this morning, we confess to you that we are worshipers of the idols that we create. And more and more, we see that as we come to your word, as we see the truth, we are confronted with the lies that we believe. And so, Father, we pray first and foremost that you would help us to cast those idols down, that you would cast them down even for us so that we might worship you in spirit and truth. Father, help us then to preach the truth to the culture that we live in, to our friends, our loved ones, to people that we meet, that they would see the lies they believe as they are encountered with the truth of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.